1: Hey everybody welcome back to the hustle it's John Lamoureux okay this week we have a classic rock legend I mean I don't you have to categorize this guy as such it is Bobby Whitlock now if you didn't know this Bobby Whitlock is a member of Derek and the Dominoes and plays on George Harrison's all things must pass album and plays on exile on Main Street I mean, those are three of the biggest albums of all time, and he is featured on all three. Those are the people he was sort of running with during that time. He starts out basically, well, his first big break, I think, is with Delaney and Bonnie. He sings with them, such a great harmonious, you know, husband and wife team, but unfortunately, they didn't last very long. And that kind of launches him through his relationship too with Eric Clapton on just, you know, playing in that space being with all of those people. He also carries on a really excellent solo career for a while too. Well, what's interesting about this is that for the last few years, he has been, I mean, first and foremost, we should just establish now that being on albums like that, especially Derek and the Dominos' Layla album, uh, has provided a nice life. And for the last few years, Bobby has been focused on painting. And so now he paints things and they sell for like, huge numbers. Just imagine being Bobby Whitlock for a minute. Now, I've wanted to have him on here forever, but what sparked this conversation finally is something really, really fascinating. You guys may remember that Cosmo Clifford of CCR was on here a few years ago, talking about an album that he recorded way back in the day and was locked away called Magic Window. Well, he found another one of these albums, and it's called California Gold, and he made it with Bobby, back in like the late 70s, and it sounds just like that era of classic rock. It is so good. I actually have a number of copies of that CD to give away that I'll tell you about at the very end. So we kick off the conversation here talking about how Cosmo and Bobby even came together for that musical project, what happened, why the album is coming out now, and then we get into everything else, Dwayne Allman, Eric Clapton, obviously, his thoughts on Layla, which is interesting because he doesn't actually even like that song very much. And uh, everything else in between, Steve Winwood, anybody who was sort of playing back then. This is fascinating. We don't get to hear from classic rock people like Bobby often enough, and I am so grateful that he took the time to talk to me. And this, by the way, is, I've always loved his vocals on any day from the Layla album, so I had to kick it off with that one because he co-wrote this song. Anyway. I love this. I hope you will, too. I had to record it on the phone, so it doesn't sound quite as good as it does on Zoom, but it's still all there. You'll, is, you'll love it. He called me from his home in San Angelo, Texas, I believe. Um, so first and foremost, as I said, Bobby, I've been trying to make this happen for years, and what finally actually got us hooked together is this new album, lost album, from Cosmo Clifford of CCR called California Gold.
2: I'm yeah, that,
1: thing, and it's. I guess you guys recorded it in 1978. Do you even remember doing this?
3: Absolutely, And uh, that was the name of our band. So I mean, oh, yeah,
1: that—that's
3: that, the name of our band. That's what we called ourselves, California Gold.
1: Got so, it.
3: Yeah, so it's a band record, really, not a Doug Clifford record. You know. Uh, now I
1: got it. Okay. Yeah. He keeps but, finding these albums in his vault. He was on there a few years ago talking about one of them. And they're so good. And I had, I mean, do you ever talk to him and say, hey, where did California gold go? Where did that, whatever happened with that?
3: No, that, that, we've already, he and I uh, discussed it, at, but not in depth, because it's not worth discussing in depth. Yeah. Uh, it's one of those things. And, yeah. you know, uh, there was a lot of personal issues. I mean, I walk all right that's basically the really uh, and it's, i walked because he came back with tom miller we had duck Dunn and another guy michael neal on guitar and he came back with uh, uh david uh, vega uh, uh, who's passed away and tom miller who went on to i think play with santana or something baseball. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but uh, they weren't that suited for the thing and I, I just and he said this is the way it is and so I I didn't set well with me. I moved on, so that's how. That's all of it. That in a nutshell. But we have, you know, uh, he's still a good friend, and uh, there was no animosity. It's just it wasn't all cleared out, and you know, like deciphered like we're doing right now. Good, and because I the music, the music was good, and his intentions and my intentions were good. We met uh, through Duck Dunn, and yeah. see so oh, Duck, and, and yeah, and Duck and I had been friends for years and years, and Duck and Cosmo met each other when uh, they took the and MGs on tour with them, I think, to Japan or someplace. I'm not for mm-hmm. sure, but uh, that's how they knew each other, and Duck i went to see duck Well, uh one night he was living way out in um, like pasadena or someplace that way remote place in 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 the valley in california and i went to visit he and his wife june i've known him since like the 60s you know 67 Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. something and uh I saw him, "I said, I don't really know what I'm going to do. I haven't got a clue. <laughs> I'm just kind of at a dead end." He went, yeah. I know. I got an idea. I got let me make. Let me make a call. I'm going to call uh, the drummer that was with Credence. And he said, oh, "He said you two would work work out real well together." Yeah. yeah, And right, right then I thought, "Yeah, it would be great if <laughs> if, Doug, if Doug was involved." But he didn't come along to uh, Cosmo and I. Uh, he uh, he called Cosmo. And, you know, it was a hidey-do and that kind of thing. And I, he, I went on up to uh see him, you know, in a week or so after the phone call from Duck's house. And uh, we hit it off and decided to put a band together, write oh. some songs first. And we wrote a shitload of songs uh-huh. and, uh, and, and and then started putting a band together. Well, the first one person we called was Duck. And he said, yeah, man. So he was flying up to rehearse with us and doing, and doing record with us. Uh, he's not on the entire album because that's when things kind of went awry with having the other players. And you can tell when uh, who's who and what's what when you hear totally. the two styles of the guitars and uh, the two bass players. I mean, Duck's yeah. laying down laying down the groove and stuff, you know, right. with his fingers and not with a pick. You know, bass player with a pick, you, it's a dangerous situation. You know? Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> so do you, there's some really good stuff on here. Like, for instance, Purple Mountain. Yeah. Long
3: jam. There's it's really so a cool fun. song.
1: It is, it is so good. So, yeah. We, even, I mean, you wrote all these great songs. Did you guys ever play outside? Did you
3: do a show? We did We did one, sh- one show. I remember writing that song. It uh, was at Cosmo's house. They had a grand piano sitting in, uh, to the left of the piano. where You could see out uh, the Bay Area, you know, uh, you see the... Uh, the bay and the sun was going down behind the purple mountain and uh, cause that's when we started to uh, write, you know, so how about that, you know, for influence. And so that's how it really, that fell together uh, with, with, with he and I. And so
1: we knew that it was going to really work as far as writing yeah. the songs. What's interesting too, is that this is kind of a quiet period for both of you. CCR is over Derek and the dominoes isn't happening neither of you are doing anything super high-profile that I know of anyway in the late 70s. So it does seem like a perfect marriage for you two and Doc and anyone else to come together and create music. But it just wasn't enough to stick it together, huh? No, it wasn't enough
3: because... uh, uh, I don't know. uh, Because Cosmo was being a producer when there was nothing being produced, you know?
2: Yeah.
3: Uh, uh, It was a band, but, uh, you know, and he was... He was a leader. He made himself a leader when I didn't think there needed to be a leader, when it was him and me, you know, that put it together. And so it's just kind of like that, you know. I haven't really uh, voiced any of this, you know. Uh, It's of no consequence because it didn't matter, you know. Uh, Just let him run with it, you know. But when he fired Duck Dunn that was, that didn't work out for me at all, and yeah. that's when I walked.
1: I understand. You know? Now, during this period, I mean, I want to get back to the heart and the meat of your career, but there, you basically, my understanding is sort of step away around the beginning of the 70s, 72, 73-ish, and you don't really come back until 99. What, are there other projects like this? Were there other bands that you got together with other people we would know, and they just didn't work out? I don't know. Well,
3: after, you know, after, after the dominoes, I did two albums for ABC, Dunhill, Bobby Whitlock and Raw Velvet, by Jimmy Miller. You, you
1: did your solo stuff, yeah. I mean,
3: yeah, and I did, and then, then I went down and moved to Capricorn and got involved. I moved to Macon, got involved with Phil Walden and those guys down at Capricorn. Did two albums for that. Then, and then it was time to move on. Went back to California. I'm looking after my family. I have a wife and two okay. kids. Well, at that point, a wife and one, uh, but uh, so I was, had that side of my life. All of a sudden, it took precedence and priority over everything else. You know, yeah. So, with uh, having to make these uh, band decisions and shit like that, you would think you would make it
2: <laughs> with
3: your with your band. You know, you got uh, you got wife and kids to look after. And, you know, uh, and, and so that was all new in my life, having a wife and children, you know, that, and it came as a huge surprise to me, <laughs> I yeah. got to say, I get but it. Uh, I get that's,
1: it. Okay. you know,
3: that, that that's, uh, that's the short and narrow that particular bit.
1: Got it. Okay. So let's go back to the beginning then. I mean, in my, now you were, you know, playing with Booker T and Sam and Dave, and, but it really seems to be kind of the Delaney and Bonnie project that. It, that that sets the tone or paves the way for the next few years of your career. What was it? I love the Accept No Substitutes album. What is it about them at that time that was attracting all of this great talent and made you guys want to kind of hit your wagon to them? You could have well, done anything at that point.
3: Well, they they came to Memphis and saw me playing at the Cabaret Club, Duck and and, uh, and Don Nix brought them there. They brought them to Memphis, and when they did, they did what turned out to be the first album, But they brought them to hear me play. And sing, and so I went out and met them, and they said, Hey, we're, we're, we're going to put a band together and going to uh, put out some records. You're going to be a, a part of it. Mm-hmm. I said, yeah. and so I left about three or four days later, you know, mm-hmm. and went to California. No, I did not know that I was going to, I had a deal already with Stax and the hip label they had, and I did not know that, that it was going to. Uh, getting me to California doing what I was doing, but I'd never been, like, west of uh, of the uh, uh, Mississippi River except for mm-hmm. going to Texarkana and playing one time.
2: Mm-hmm. And
3: so it was a time for, I could see... I they in Memphis, he said, he's gone Hollywood, you know. <laughs> that's what they used to say. Anybody that went to, to L.A. has gone Hollywood, yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that's, back, that's back at home, you know. He went Hollywood, you know. <laughs> I love
2: it. That's great. That's great.
3: Yeah. Well, and, and I actually did do that <laughs> but yeah, i, I right. wasn't living in i wasn't living in hollywood i was in the valley
1: right. I mean, you went big time now yeah. my understanding of them i mean as great as they sounded together their marriage was pretty volatile volatile yeah yeah
3: that right yeah well when i moved out there uh it was a few days after they asked me and uh, and i wound up sleeping on their couch so i got involved personally with them and uh they were just getting their life started as a new, new, newlywed couple, and they had a career. Getting the doors were opening for that, and yeah. then up stepped Alan Pariser, uh, who was a, a heir to the Sweetheart Dixie Lily Cup Company, oh. and he, yeah, he 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 was a producer at the Montreux Festival, and uh, and oh, everybody loved. It started out with Delaney, Bonnie, and Me. All right, and he was acoustic guitar, and we were playing our laps, clapping our hands and and uh and singing it was really good that's why that on an acoustic album you you hear yeah. that, you yeah. that's that was our beginnings you know uh, that's how we started and then uh I moved to the uh plantation and Jimmy carstein, Chuck Blackwell um uh, indian ed davis living up there and uh j.j J. kale in the back in, uh, in the garage apartment so that's more I, I started finding my way carl lived just carl radio lived just down the road uh gary Gilmore's just down the road everybody rehearsed at, at the plantation as well taj mahal would come over all the time mm-hmm. Gr- graham parsons would just fall in you know and mm-hmm. and uh, and, uh I don't still see him coming over in dead summertime in a brand new nudie suit. You know <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was hot as hell and he I showed really up in did. a brand <laughs> grandpar says, How cool, man <laughs> That's
1: great. That is great. Let me see yeah, this. now Eric I've always felt like Eric for a while there after cream was kind of floating. I don't know he really what he wanted to do. You know, there's, Mike, there's Eric, there's all these well, other- Alan, 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 was
3: the one who introduced uh, the band to that, that uh, Eric and George Harrison and all that. Mm. Because cause Alan, on top of he's passed away now, so but uh, on top of being uh, having all that money, uh, you know, he also had the best cocaine and marijuana in oh, the whole. <laughs> So everybody in Hollywood exactly was right going, going to Uncle Alan's house, all right? So, you
1: and Eric originally, was it the drugs, or what, did, was it something uh, that, No.
3: Uh, well, I didn't know what I was going to do when I left Delaney and him. Um yeah. I called Steve Cropper, and he said, Why don't you call Eric and ask him to just come over and visit? I said, "I, I don't know, What would I do if he said, Yeah, come over? He said, just call me back after you speak with him. And So I called him, and he answered the phone. And I said, hey, man, I'm leaving, or I've left Delaney and Bonnie. I said, I want to come over and hang out a little bit. And uh, clear my head. He said, come on over. That was on a Wednesday. I called Steve right back and told him, he said, come over. He had an airplane ticket for me to leave Saturday. I got on a one-way ticket, got on a plane with about $350 in my pocket, and uh, had the black cab take me to Eric's house and uh, that's how we got started wow and, yeah that's that's how it all so it's just pages of that thing starting to flip and fold together right. you know
1: yeah that's it then
3: you can now, see it you know
1: you guys I mean is the intention I mean there's his solo album there's Barry, there's Layla obviously there's all things must pass originally are you two just trying to find your way do we want to collaborate with friends? Do we want to start a band? Do we want to focus well, on Eric? What do we want to do? Are you figuring well, that out? Well, when I was over there, so
3: he asked me to come over, and I showed up uh, like the day after that, you know. Uh-huh. And uh, we were just hanging out. We didn't talk about putting a band together or anything. We just got to know each other. Okay. And so about two weeks into me staying there out at Hurtwood Edge, I, I I ran out of money. i told Eric. I said I'm gonna have. I, I said I'm gonna have to go back to uh, the station. I don't know what I'm gonna do, but I'm I gotta leave. You know, I'm gonna run out right. of cash. He said, I thought you and I were gonna put together a band. And I, I went, oh wow, cool. So he said, I don't have any money either. So uh, Monday, let's go down to the office, go to Stigwood's office, and get a draw for you and me. So then i have have 150 pounds a week that I got from the office and, and it was an advance, you know. And yeah. we started George called Eric and, and me at her, at Hurtwood. One. one afternoon we were sitting out on the patio and having a drink. The phone rang. Eric went and picked it up. A big black you know, phone. And, sure. he and picked it up. And um uh, this is the only two times I ever knew him to talk on the phone. But he picked it up and he said, Yeah, okay, uh huh, uh huh. Let me let me talk to Bobby about it. And so, uh, you see, the word had gotten out that I was there, and that Eric and I were going to do something. You uh-huh. nobody really knew. And I, and he came out, and I said, "Who was that?" And he said, oh, "He said that was George, who uh, wanted us, me and me, to put a band uh, together, put the, a rhythm section together for his new record. He's going to be working on." And I said, "Harrison?" He said, "Yeah." I said, "Cool." And he said, "Why don't you call Jim and Carl and, um, and and tell them what's going down?" And so I did. I thought he meant Keltner, and, and uh-huh. so I I called Jim Keltner, <laughs> and Keltner was busy uh, with a Gabor uh, Zabo Gabor Zabo uh, uh-huh. record, and so he couldn't make it out right away. Or we needed to put a band together right then and there. Uh, somehow, or other Pee Pee Arnold or somebody got eric and me on a session um i'll be down and carl was supposed to show it up too he he got lost and couldn't make it so we got manford's guy to play bass and we got there and jim gordon was playing drums on this session we didn't tell him that we were uh needed a drummer or anything like that yeah and so eric and i had a little power i said well what do you think i said george wants us to put a band together Here's a great drummer. we've both worked with him already, and Keltner can't make it and uh we asked Jim Gordon right there at that session if he wanted to be in our band well and and then he came out to uh he said yes, he came out and got a bedroom out at uh Hurtwood edge. Carl was in in town in London as well. He came out and got another bedroom and we were doing george's album and and um That's how our band, uh, how we formed, Derek Derek and the Dominoes. Yeah. So we recorded the All Things Must Pass record, and then um, about a month later, uh, or three weeks later, we recorded the Layla album as Derek and the Dominoes. (laughs) Eric and I already had all the songs. You know, if Dwayne Allman hadn't showed up, it still was going to be a great record. We already had you know, songs together for the the album, you know. So that's how that fell together.
1: Wow. So, okay, tell me a story or two about all things before we move on to Derek. What what was Phil Spector like?
3: Oh, he was funny. He never came out of the control room. You know, he stayed up there where he needed to be. uh, Oh, yeah. He was a nutty little paranoid fella. And,
1: uh, Did he carry a gun?
3: No, there was no he. No, he was pissed off that they wouldn't let him come into into the country with a gun. You know, uh-huh. but and, and, um, but see, he had this uh, uh, distorted view of of who he really was. You know, he he thought he was more important than it really was. Cause nobody gave a shit about Phil Spector. <laughs>
2: right, right.
3: He, little mousey self, you know. Nobody really cared about uh, about that man, except that, he, you know, he pr- produced this, Bill Medley and those guys, he, he produced up running, some good stuff, you know. Yes, that was yes. what George wanted, though. But he was a funny little guy. He really was. And what was going on in the control room was funny as hell. They should have uh, recorded and videoed everything that was going down, because that was some funny stuff going down in the control room. He was a funny little guy, too, you know. <laughs> he was, man. I believe
1: um, it. I believe but, uh, it. Okay. Let yeah. me ask you this. When you guys are recording My Sweet Lord, is no one saying to you know, this song sounds a lot it's not long this song sounds really familiar.
3: no one saying that? No, um, we recorded it, and w- w- nobody thought anything about it. And we went up and was listening back, and I said, Hey, man, that sounds like that, that song, He's So Fine. <laughs>
2: right.
3: Wow. And, I said, and I told Phil, I said, this you know, is when we play that, And everybody kind of shocked, you know, that I would uh-huh. say it, you know. But I did. Leave it to me to say it. Wow. And, and I said, yeah. And I said, didn't you produce it? And I pointed my finger at Phil uh <laughs> but uh he no did, right yeah
1: yeah you would think you would have spoken up about that
3: i mean I'd no like- hell nobody was going to get off of it george okay. george said he would take care of it he said one time, he didn't steal nothing you know i right. just came all those ideas are out there oh yeah so all the lyrics and melodies and paintings Every everything is out there if you have the antenna to reach that creative principle, all of those melodies and words and all of those uh, uh, paintings and thoughts, they're all there. And if you yeah. tap into that source, it doesn't say the Ronettes did this. Yeah.
2: You know? Yeah. No. Uh-uh. It's I just
3: agree. its just that thing. It happens, you know? Yeah. Uh, we just looked at something this morning that was just astounding. I did a painting that um, – yeah, it's really beautiful. And uh, I'm not to jump ahead of anything here, but no, it goes with what I'm saying. Uh, we, there was a, a photo of a house in uh, California on the ocean, a uh, big, beautiful place, five billion house, you know, for uh, a Spanish revival. That's what our house is, a Spanish revival. big, We're in a big place. And uh, we looked at this thing, and it was like, holy moly, you can put put it right next to the painting and it looks like the same place. Yeah, with the white sun going down. I mean uh, uh spooky, you know yeah. <laughs> but yeah. That's all from yeah. that same creative principle. It all
2: it.
3: it all yeah, that's how that thing works.
1: Yeah. And yeah. I mean
3: we were blown away with it, you know. I said, holy moly. Look, it's I mean, exactly the same.
1: Yeah. That whole album, that might be the best album Made by a former member of the Beatles, all things. And oh, absolutely! Critical, you've been critical. Well, I've I've heard you speak out about proper credits and um, who's getting credited on, on what and who's playing what. Gary Wright, I think, gets a lot of credit for keyboards on there. Gary Wright seems like a really nice guy, but yeah. according to you, that's not how it went down, right?
3: Well, what I said is how it went down because I, I did a thing in my, where I even listened on the headset. You know, I wasn't doing drugs and drinking and carrying on there. I was having my shit together and nobody was. I mean, that's, I uh, sessions, those were sober sessions. In my book, there's a, <clears throat> a thing, yeah, I put a headset on and I painted the picture with words of every song in the room uh, described it all you know i was there for everything i was yeah. there at every session even the two that i was not on i went just so i could say i went to every session yeah. set out in the, the, the the very last one it was when they when pete he was my suggestion uh they want, they asked me to do that hmm. whistle i whistled in the control room when uh uh he was playing that and phil he says who's that and I raised my hand like a kid in school you know thinking yeah. I was going to be scolded he said get out there and do that whistle on the on the microphone and I went out and I said no I, I tried it once and I said you guys need to get Pete Drake over here <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't three or four days later they had Pete Drake
1: no yeah. way yep. yes wow
3: and he thanked me for that I ran into him uh, down in, in, in Nashville one time he thanked me for getting him on that on that record i said well it was a perfect fit i said i couldn't do it it's a whistle but i heard it you know i heard the thing you know
1: definitely definitely um okay let's transition then into layla This is also another masterpiece, as you know, and you've written like half the songs on there. I read somewhere that you have an issue with the piano coda at the, the second half. You're a keyboard player. That's not you playing that. Why? I am. I'm playing, playing, playing on top it? of it. Oh, yeah. Oh,
0: okay.
1: I'm playing all the organ on it and singing and stuff. Got but it.
3: But uh, uh, Jim put it down because he played the first piano. So we're, first he did, he went in... And put a drum part down. He played all the drums. He was incredibly talented. And then he put down the first piano, and then we came in and put the rest of the song together. But when after he did it, Tom had me go in and play piano on top of his piano, mm. it's because his piano was so regimented; it had no feel. I interpreted different. So after the intro, the piano. Changes somewhat because mm-hmm. I'm playing right on top of him, but I'm playing some different movements and Got stuff it. it's yeah so I mean, but that was what I heard him doing you know
2: mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. he knew, he knew it that's that's what you know the what I heard him play to me uh Got i it. I couldn't make chords of it but I yeah. can now, you know, but uh I didn't make head or tails of it when it was doing it, and I didn't think it belonged on the Layla the song Layla and i oppose it so uh, uh so much that the original single didn't have it on it they didn't put it on it until uh the album uh extended album thing came out
1: so you felt like they should have been two separate
3: songs i didn't feel like it should have been on it period
1: <laughs> oh really you didn't get any of that piano
3: code <laughs> hell no no uh-uh. i'm just now getting used to it
1: Bobby, you uh, know that's what makes that song so special, right?
3: Now, well, I don't know about that part, but uh, oh,
1: really, I think no. the, the dichotomy of the two—having this great, you know, rock song first, and then this gorgeous, you know, ballad-y end ending—is the yin and yang. That's what makes that song so powerful, I think, anyway.
3: Yeah, well, you know, that's matter of opinion. But pain. I make
1: it. You, uh, you're the you know, you're the expert on this for sure. I yeah, I'll,
3: I'll, that was just
1: my opinion on it. you Sure, know? of course, of course. Um, I think I've heard you say somewhere that Thorn Tree in the Garden is one of your favorite songs you've ever been a part of.
0: There's a thorn tree in the garden If you know just what I mean And I hate to hurt your feelings But it's not the way it seems Cause I miss her the only girl I've cared for, the only one I've known, and no one ever shared my love, and we alone, and I miss her. But it all seems so strange, to see, cause she'd never turn her back on me, and leave without a last goodbye. She winds up a walk in the streets, loving every other man to meets. You'll be the one to answer why. Lord, I hope it's not
3: me. Yeah, yeah, well, I wrote it sitting out in the front yard when I was 15. Yeah, and, uh, uh well, no, I, was, uh, uh, I lost my little dog. And, uh, that was what it was about. And it was written about the person, uh, that got, got rid of that got rid of her. Uh-huh. And so that's what that's about. It's really to, uh, 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 a letter to someone, you know, for something they did to know, let them know how, how damaged, you yeah. know, uh, what happened to that, yeah. you know, but it, I, little did I know. I played it for him uh, little did i know uh it was going to be on the you know one of the greatest records of all time yeah. close it out you know yeah but that's yeah great. it's a it's a for real that's a story a, a real story of, of of me i was thinking of dreams of hobo at first but uh that's that was really it's about so it's about my little uh, lost dog uh-huh you know? and so yeah okay so but that's really it. I was, and I said, I, after I finished it, I went into the room and I told this, this guy, I said, listen to this, I got something someone. And I sang it to him and he went, wow, that's beautiful, Bobby. And I said, yeah, i said, forever. You'll know forever in a day, you'll know. And I, I can say who it was now. Cause he's passed away. It's Jimmy Karstein. Uh, he had my, yeah, He my little dog, uh, but see, I lived there, and he said, you got to get rid of this little dog. I said, no, I can't get rid of my dog. And he decided to do it for you. Well, that's what he did. I come back, she was gone. Oh, and it man. just killed me. It just okay. killed me. Anyway, I wrote this song. I went into the kitchen at the plantation. and said, let me tell you. Let me sing this for you. And I sang it, and he said, man, that's beautiful. I, said, I told him, I said, well, from now on, you'll know. He said, "I told him one of these days I'm gonna record this record, and, and well, and the whole world gonna know that. But about this, but you going you you'll know that you were the thorn tree in my garden."
2: Wow. And, and, and,
3: yeah, that's that's really that true story. And he sure. he we were friends anyway. After it all, okay. You know, he he just did something that he shouldn't have. He dealt with a situation in in a, of the wrong way. Yeah, but yeah. I, I'm sure he just felt like it. Uh, you know, it was just
1: uh, it wouldn't matter to me. Yeah, but right. That, but it did it affected you. Yeah,
3: yeah, hell yeah. I, I was a, I was on my own, and I was sleeping on a round bed in plantation. You know, mm. <laughs> and wow. that was
1: that was my best friend was that little dog. Yeah. You know. Yeah, but let uh, me ask you this. I think it's in your book. You mentioned that we all know that Layla is supposedly Eric's. Kind of feelings about Patty Boyd, right. but you mentioned, I think, in your book that there are messages from George to Eric in All Things Must Pass, just like there are messages from Eric to George. What did you mean by that? Explain well,
3: that to me. Well, uh, um, uh, some of these songs, it just felt like that was that was it. You know,
1: like they were uh, speaking to each other. Did George know it's that it's Eric so, felt this way at that time?
3: Oh uh, yeah, I'm sure he did because you know everybody. Everybody knew, but everybody was quiet okay. you know, everybody knew what was going on, but everybody was quiet about it, you know, but I always felt that there was and I can't name each song, you know, yeah, but there were uh, uh messages uh, there were like wawa, for instance,
2: yeah you know
3: uh, yeah, and now he may have written that about somebody else, but I interpreted it this was a message Derek, you know. Uh. Okay. <laughs> why? Why you may be such a big star. You know, being there at the right time. Yeah.
1: Um, so maybe I'm maybe I'm an idiot and I should know this and I don't. Had had Eric and Patty been carrying on an affair, or was it an unrequited love or crush on Eric's part, and then they finally got together?
3: Yeah, that was it. It was it second it was one.
1: A, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That, because, to, to my knowledge.
3: <laughs> that they weren't having an affair. No, not any time I was around. Yeah, um, yeah, but see, everybody came to see Eric. All all the guys' wives and everybody, because everybody loved Eric. Clapton, right? And and you know he was an endearing person, and I guess he still is an endearing personality. And um, but all all the women and there were and they were just a revolving door, you know. <laughs> yep, I believe. <laughs> of it. different of different women coming and going at her wet edge. Uh yeah. I'm sure it was that way when he was living in town, but it was that, and it seemed, they seemed to always be either somebody else's girlfriend or somebody else's wife, you
1: know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, when you're a rock star, the rules are different. Um, his own rules. Yes, that's it. That's exactly right. Now, you were carrying on an affair also with Patty's sister, Paula, correct?
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah.
1: That that was, that was one of the big, that was one of the biggest mistakes in my whole
3: life.
2: Really?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Why? I mean, you know, we were both stepping out into the world and neither one of us had any, any idea about setting up house or anything to do with like looking (laughs) after dogs and stuff like that. (laughs) No, but, but it was, uh, yeah, we were together for, uh, I don't know, too damn long. Uh, and after uh, we moved to Sunny Heights, uh, Ringo's old house, uh, she split right after we got into uh, Sunny Heights. Ran off, and she wound up with Andy Johns, who left oh, the scene. Yeah. yeah. So she wanted to go. She wanted to go where the, where the drugs were. And I would really, yeah. I didn't want to get down and and do all of that, you know, because I my life was about living, it wasn't about hiding and. You know, sticking needles in your arms—that bunch of stupid shit. Yeah, I wasn't. See, I wasn't that long out of a, a uh, working and picking cotton in goddamn uh, cotton field, you know, in Arkansas.
2: True.
3: I mean, I look back at it now. You know, uh, you know, five years is not that very long. You know, yeah, you know, six point. years is not very long. And then suddenly, I'm I'm like, uh, you know, playing in, in a uh, a bar or something in in Memphis, and then the next day, you know, I'm in, in England, you know, putting together a band with Eric Clapton. Crazy. So, yeah, it was crazy. It, it was pretty wild. I didn't lose my my grounding, my footing, though. I didn't. No, I, no, I didn't lose it. Uh-uh. Okay,
1: tell me a Dwayne Allman story because I I think if he had lived, he might be considered the greatest guitarist ever i mean for only the couple of years we had him he's yeah, there yeah. as it is yeah In well tone um, and feel is unparalleled yeah absolutely and i can tell you exactly where he got it too
3: that's from indian Air davis you know really well yeah yes sir Wow. Oh. well he 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 copied a lot of his stuff from uh, uh, yeah. Air davis you I know just ed davis yeah well I'm, I'm telling you now Okay. uh yeah. he he was really into playing like on taj mahal stuff yeah and now that i've now that i said that about slide players you listen to ed davis playing slide and listen to dwayne armand playing slide
1: i'll do it
3: Yeah, you know, i'm telling you right now come out of coming out of the same stew pot
1: wow i hadn't thought of that before was dwayne um how long was he there? Was he around for like the whole recording? Did you two become friends?
3: Yeah, we were friends before that.
1: Okay, I thought so. Yeah, because uh, he
3: <laughs> when we got hooked up with him when uh, he came to play with us on the Delaney and Bo- to Bonnie from Delaney album, mm-hmm. you know. And we met him in Miami. I mean, uh, Delaney and it was, it was it had run out. You know, he had drained himself out. Mm-hmm. You know, and and they didn't have any direction. It didn't sound like anybody. Mm-hmm. and so, so that's what happened um mm. was it uh, something something in jojo god damn what is her name i can't remember mm. Uh but they had a there was a an act that uh they already had produced a bunch of stuff oh, okay. on, and we were going through a bunch of songs about it, uh tom and Jerry, a uh, uh, place where they kept a boat and uh they were trying to give Delaney and them some direction. That's when they've decided to bring Dwayne in in the mm. picture. You know because 'cause they've been working Tom's been working with Dwayne, you know, with Honor Brothers and stuff. Yeah. And so they made the introduction. Everybody loved Delaney anyway. And he and and Dwayne kicked it off really good. And uh Dwayne came to play with us out in California. He was on the uh uh acoustic, you know, um with Delaney Bondy record. And um so he and I had already been buds, you know? Okay. So when we were at the hotel in, in Miami recording the later record, uh, I'd already played with him a bunch, you know? So yeah. it fit real well because anytime you've done work with somebody like that, like, uh, Jim Gordon, Jim, uh, Carl Rado, it fits real well. You know, so you can, you can come back to it and do it mm-hmm. something else. All together, so and, yeah. so and and it'll work, you
1: know. Yeah. For a couple of years there, you this whole tribe of people we're talking about that worked with each other were totally in sync. All the the everybody the, 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 you, yes, all the yeah. people. Yeah. Everybody. Group, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I was like a
3: a, a a bee going from one flower to the next to the it. next to the next yeah. to the next to the next. They had their own thing going, and I was just a part. Of, each of each and every one of their things, you know, okay. uh, and That's flitting right. from one flower to the next to collecting a lot of pollen. I'll call that some, uh, you know, knowledge and, uh, yeah. and, and yeah. stuff to carry along with me. I knew that when we did, we doing the all things must pass album. I mean, I was staying out of Georgia's house at our Park at that time. Uh, I knew that we are doing something. Of a, a, ma- a huge, a big magnitude, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I heard the the first playback was upstairs in in the, in the music room at Friar Park, and uh, yeah, so the, it was the first playbacks we That's we wild. listened to them. You know, George and me and Patty and Terry Doran.
1: Yeah. Um, let me ask you this: I've always felt like your voice, your singing voice. Sounds sometimes like a cross between Greg Allman and Michael McDonald. Sometimes, was well, that at all a singer? No,
3: and um, neither one of those guys, I, that's you know, I, I didn't listen to nobody. I've been no, singing, don't. I've been singing all my life, and certainly Michael McDonald, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you
2: there, know well,
3: you, I mean, you put me in good company, but that, you know, um, that's not uh, well, I never listened to anybody. When i don't you think you're did.
1: copying. There's some Joe Cocker in there. I'm, that gritty voice that that Greg and Joe have, but the soulful R&B kind of voice that Michael has. You That's how I grew up on I br- I grew
3: up on yeah. rhythm and blues. That's I was good. the first first white act signed to Stax's hip label. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and and um, before that, I was you know in a gospel influence with all the music I grew up the way I, when I grew up.
1: I wanted to ask you about Stacks specifically. Um, were you, like, did you ever hang out with Johnny Taylor or no. Isaac Hayes?
3: Or- Isaac, Isaac, but um, I, I was in, I was allowed in because uh, I was close to Duck and Steve and I was allowed in anytime I wanted to come. And so I was there every day, you know, every day that I had available, I there was something going on at Stacks. You would find Bobby Whitlock there standing up against the wall, being quiet and taking it all in, Sorry. you know, uh, Carla Thomas, you know, and then uh, yeah. the staple staple singers, you know, Mavis, you know, and, uh, uh the pops and running, running the yeah. show. It was great. Well, Al- Albert King, you know, uh, yeah. recording and, and being able to be, uh, uh, Albert, you know, and, and yeah. know him and play with him later on in my years, you know? Yeah uh open the show for me and stuff
1: that's wild yeah yeah. okay i we have some patreon supporters and i always tell them who i'm talking to and they can submit some questions that they want one of them in particular um michael bagford wanted to ask about working with stephen stills do you did you two get along do you have any memories of working with stephen yeah yeah but uh it was, a he had a huge ego. <laughs> did he really? <laughs>
3: yeah. But, uh, but, uh it, it was, uh, it was, he was Steven Steel's and he he was running the show, Yeah. but, uh, you know, he was, it was right. Everything that he did was right for himself. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The um, okay. players might, might not have uh, that he surrounded himself with may not have been the greatest players in the world and he may not be the greatest player in the world, but it works for him. You know? Yeah. Yeah,
1: I get it. Okay. A couple of people wanted to know about working with Jim Gordon. Obviously, he became a very troubled person. He was incredible. um, He was incredible back then. Did you ever see any signs of the danger that would be coming?
3: Well, uh, he got to getting real high when he had his house in Chelsea. This was right before the band blew up. Mm -hmm. And uh, I told him, I said, I think you need... and he told me that he heard voices. But really? I said, no, nah. I said, that's, I said, everybody hears voices or a hey, voice. That's your conscience, okay. you know, tells you what to do. Like this shirt, green one, no, the red one looks better. And no, he said, I, I hear, I hear voices. And mm. he told me it was his mother or somebody else. I said, you need to go to the doctor, man. That's what you need to do. You need to have, I said, I'll get one of my cars, come by and pick you up. Take take you and Robert Stigwood to see a doctor, you know, (laughs) both of you need help. But uh, they wouldn't leave me alone, and uh, I I couldn't help them with what they had on their minds. Yeah,
1: that's a shame. Um, Tell me about working on Exile on Main Street. You're supposedly in there somewhere, but I don't know where. I am.
3: I am. That's me playing uh, a piano, and I just want to see his face. uh i was in my house and asked bobby keys is always calling me to <laughs> to come hang out and do one thing or the other mm-hmm. and he called me to come hang out down at you nail know, you know and I, I went down there for a couple of days and when they were trying still trying to get it together that's where i met jimmy miller oh, but right. and he and i was talking about um he wanted to have me sign up with his production company jimmy miller production And he was producing the Stones at the time. And I went down there, and they were just getting it together. You know, it had a big recording truck outside the place and all that. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of dope going down. And I I left there. I hung out for a few days, and then they started getting serious about recording. I left, went back to my house. And uh, I didn't think about them at all, you know. And then about... Mm -hmm. Uh three months later, two or three months later, Bobby Keys called me and, hey, Bobby Woodlock, he said, uh, Jimmy Miller wants to uh, talk to you about uh, uh, that what y'all was talking about being, being part of his po- uh, production company and signing you up. And, and uh, he said, come on down. He said, he wants to finish a conversation with you. Keith's out doing something, you know, he was out, you know, trying to score and they weren't doing anything but standing around. Waiting on him, which was hours and hours and hours, and so I jumped in my Ferrari, tore down to uh, uh barns where the uh, uh uh studio was, and when Jimmy and I talked the, the thing he would tell me what he had on his mind, I said, that's great, I gotta go get back out the house and so uh uh i was I was just walking through the big uh, studio room and, and Keith was standing there with a black notebook writing down. And he said, hey, Bobby. He said, wasn't your dad a, or a father a minister or a preacher or something like that? I said, yeah, he was a hellfire and brimstone mm. Southern Baptist preacher. And um, he said, can you play me some gospel, something with a gospel field? I said, sure. And they were just standing around doing nothing. And there was uh, a word in the middle. Of the floor, and I walked over to it and cranked it up, the uh, vibrato on it, and just started playing, just started jamming, and then and uh, when Charlie came in and started putup and started, started playing some toms, Mick Taylor grabbed the bass, the other end of the room, and he started playing the bass, and so we just kept playing, and, and for I guess fifteen or twenty minutes, uh-huh. and then uh, Keith came in, we stopped playing. Uh, I just walked out the door. and Never thought anything about it afterward. Went on to the house, and uh, I said, "Well, that's pretty cool to sit there and jam with those guys," you know. Yeah. And um, with Charlie especially, and uh, he had uh, a good feel. Yeah. And And uh, never thought anything about it. I did my deal with Jimmy Miller. Went to L.A. to sign the thing with uh, George and, and George Grice and Jimmy. He was Jimmy's manager as well and jimmy came in with a and, and joe Zagarino, who was the engineer on the record uh came in all jumping up and down about finally finishing exile's album you know mm-hmm. and, and they put it on and played and i, and I said that's me on there and i'm looking at the credits so i said i'm not credited oh, he said no. oh he went oh man and he said I, I forgot you know he said well it took two years to put this thing together and and uh and so I had one fucking excuse after the next, mm-hmm. but that's me. And that's you know fun. that, that is me playing. You can look on one of my sites and I've got, I just, I went, matter of fact, Coco bought me a world, sir. Just so I could play it. <laughs> 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 and, <people. laughs> and, and yeah, and there I am, you know, look on my thing. You can, you can hear it, yeah. but yeah, that, I was just never credited and they're bad about that. You know, Yeah,
1: um,
3: yeah. I mean, they yeah. steal from their own, you know?
1: No kidding. So we try to cover kind of sensitively the business side of things. You're you are featured on three of the greatest albums of all time. And they're big. Do you I mean, do you could you live off royalties just from those three projects? I have just from the
3: one uh for all these years, fifty years plus.
1: Really? Because really? we I split ever
3: we split everything equal. You know, except songwriting, we split everything equal with Derek and the Dominoes. I mean, Eric, you know, we got it out. It was like uh, four ways, you know? Yeah. And so, Carl being passed and Jim gone in the, in the slammer, that uh, yeah. just leaves Eric and me. And I don't know what uh, thing they have worked out, but I know that Jim is the wealthiest uh, inmate in uh, <laughs> California. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's hilarious.
2: Yeah, oh, he is. Man. Yeah, okay. he's the,
1: now I'm going go back to exile for a second. Were you, I mean, so you went to France? Didn't they record most of that like down in the basement, and it was a hundred degrees?
3: It was down uh, there
1: and see it and everything.
3: For yeah, 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 yeah. When I was getting it all together, they had uh, chords going everywhere. So Bobby and them were in one room. He and Jim Price was in one room down there. Uh, uh Drums were in another room down there. Uh, Bass was in another room. Guitar was in another. Yeah, uh, it was it was crazy.
1: It's the wonder they they got anything together. No Uh,
3: kidding. No kidding. Yeah,
1: yeah. Now, you mentioned a minute ago about your dad being a hellfire and brimstone preacher. One of your solo songs that I really like is Day Without Jesus. Yeah, so is, yeah. Were you? I mean, is that? Are you a religious person? Do you still carry that with you? Hell, no. Really? <laughs>
3: no, man. No, I, I that ain't that. I have. I, I was. I was raised in the middle of all that and all a bunch of hypocrites, and, and yeah. I, I, I'm not. I'm not going for uh, digging in, in uh, anybody's pockets. You know, in the name of anybody or anything. Mm-hmm. You know, they got it all. I hate getting off on this platform. Uh, but, you know, I I didn't buy it then. I don't buy it now. Hmm. I don't believe in any kind of religion, Jesus, or any of that nonsense. Yeah. You know, uh, no, uh, no. You That's know, right. you can quote me on that, too. Right. I'm thinking uh, uh, of, on... yes. <laughs> of
1: quoting you on that stuff. I, I, followed, I think we're Facebook friends. I, I've seen you post like uh anti-trump things or whatever over the years and your fans come out you with such vitriol you and i are aligned politically i'm happy to say but uh, yeah well you know what
3: i I had a bunch of people that wanted to be on one of my sites or or two of my sites Uh and they were full you know people waiting two years to get on one of these sites and they were full and i suddenly i went I know. You know how I could empty this site. Let's <laughs> just <laughs> tell everybody that's a Donald Trump fan to get the fuck off of it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, it, it was like living to the sea, you know? <laughs>
2: that's great. Oh. Yeah. It's good for you, man. I love that.
3: I love yeah, that's that. the only that's the only way I can deal with politics, you know.
2: Uh,
3: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't 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 go talking to me about religion or politics, you know, because I'll right. tell you exactly how the cow eats cabbage. <laughs> you know.
1: <laughs> love it. Okay, I got to ask you one or two more questions. Did you? I love Steve Winwood. Did you ever interact with Steve Winwood very much? I've
3: always wanted already. to. No, I don't have a well. Here, I do have a Steve Winwood story. Uh, I've always done give me some love, and I never sung a third verse right. No, I don't think any, I don't even know if he sings a third verse right. But, uh, uh I, I, I love getting, uh, the, them, uh, uh, Stephen Wynwood and his playing and everything. And, uh, so I did give me some love in Memphis with him. i was doing all my soul stuff. Well, you know, I got to meet him with blind faith, and did, I got to know him kind of at an arm's length. And then uh, we're doing. uh I got to open up. Uh, always we open up my show with Midnight Hour and um, um, Give Me Some Love and some other uh, uh show uh, number one. When we're doing the dominoes, even with Delaney and Bonnie, and I can never get the third verse right. i would be there playing Give Me Some Love and I look up across the, and there there's Stevie Wonder sitting standing right there. <laughs> yeah, I, I was waiting for him to start. Mouthing the lyrics for me. But, <laughs> but he's, yeah, that, you know, I always wanted to to do something with him, you know, uh, have yeah. just to, to play the, his, the way he plays organ and the way I play organ together. I think it would have been monstrous. Uh, me too. That's but, why
1: I asked. I thought you two would be
3: perfect together.
1: Yeah, that's yeah, what I we thought. We don't need each other. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe one day. We'll I don't know. I don't know.
3: I'd love it. I I gotta I h I got hold him up on a pedestal. I got a lot yeah. a lot of respect for Steve Winwood.
1: Good. Me too.
3: Good. Yeah.
1: Um I gotta ask, do you how are you are you close to Eric at all? I mean he's he's become a problematic figure the last few years. You know, well, do you have any you feelings know, about that?
3: I don't have any feelings about it. I haven't talked to him in years, but
1: okay.
3: uh, you know, we're still we're still friends as, as okay. far as I know. Yeah. Uh, I know that every time he there's something that advantageous happens for him, it, it spills over in in, in into my, my lap too. Okay. Okay. So okay. yeah, no, I don't want anything from Eric. I don't need nothing from Eric Clapton. Yeah. Uh, I'm not looking, sitting around waiting on the fucking phone to ring. Right. I'm sure there are a lot of people who are, you know, but uh, yeah. no, what I did with him, I'm good with it. I can live with it. You know? Sure. Uh, sure. what, I, the, what i've done the albums i've been on are enough to keep me uh fulfilled for the, the remainder of my days on this planet you know my life has turn, taken taking another turn you know so those yep. things i know everything that went with and all of the, uh you know uh compromise that comes with the records in the music world and and management and those people like that, just leeches and blood suckers. Yeah, I know. I know all that. But what I, my world, where I am now, and I have been for the last four years, I'm con- in control of my destiny.
1: Yeah, that's it. That's you know, it.
3: I yeah. have the ultimate say so in in, in my world.
1: You do now. Speaking of this, like it seems like this, the second chapter of your life has been art you'll post pictures of your paintings, and they're incredible. Has this always been something that you were into, or did you
3: discover? No, I, I, didn't, I didn't pick up a brush until uh, May four years ago. Really? Yeah. Wow. And uh, it's just like I've tapped into that creative principle, uh, the same one as you do when you're playing like Eric playing guitar when he gets to right. click. Well, I, I, it's the same thing, only mine is, is a brush now. Uh, so I'm still, and so it's like I've all done it all in my life.
2: Yeah. My
3: wife, one time we had a farm on the edge of Austin and uh, had three barns on it. And I was up in, in the loft one and looking around and um, found a, a, some old canvases. And so three of them, I took them down to Coco. She's brilliant. She can paint, uh, draw and everything. She's brilliant at everything she does. And uh, well she's produced and and, and on our, our new record that we got coming out. But oh, man, uh it wasn't great. Oh yeah, it's awesome. It's got Steve Croppers on it, uh Steve Potts playing drums, Coco's playing bass, she's an awesome bass player. Nice saxophone she produces, got Nico Lyris is another guitar player, a couple of other guitar players on it. It's coming out soon enough. Cool. Uh, I know great. it's all finished, y'all. Oh, it's killer, man. Just yeah. fucking killer. Um, but she's I've come in with uh, from the barn and I said look I found some canvas why don't you you get you some oil or or paint or something paint and she said why don't you you've always uh, admired all these great artists she said why don't you paint Uh, I said I think I will so I went down to a little local thing at Jerry's and got uh, six or seven paints and uh a couple of brushes and went back out to the farm and set up my i bought a little easel and set up i started painting and and i went. this is no this is fucking terrible (laughs) and i did another one and she said try it again so i did another one and i said this is fucking awful (laughs) i said you sit here you take these things i said uh she said no and she said why don't you do this? She said, I've never known you to quit anything. Why don't you uh, just try one more? Take, the, take that outside and go and try one more. And I thought about something. I was standing out in my backyard and I thought about something uh, that I, I had read about Keith uh, Richards saying that he was like an antenna.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And when I thought about that, I went, Oh, wow. It's like, Yeah, it's it's like an antenna that goes up into, or into the, or up, down, all around, actually. This creative principle, a law uh, of of the universe.
2: Yeah.
3: You dial into that. Wow. And the third one I did was like, I knew it then. I knew it then. And it's like i have always done it. And all of my art, I'm sitting in my art studio right now. I've got an exhibition at the um, – I've just come off of another exhibition uh, for six months here in Ozona at the Crockett County uh, Museum. I've had three floors with 200 of my paintings and one of my sculptures on it for six months, and it's going to close out October 1st. Uh, I'm picking out paintings now for the opening of my own gallery, the Coop Gallery, at the Museum of Fine Art in uh San Angelo and that's on the twenty third of, of this month. So I mean it's all coming together. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I, my I, my art is uh in in like the fine, in, in the Museum of Fine Art. Um
1: that's incredible.
3: Yeah, that's yeah, I think act. so. we just
1: found it randomly four years ago and now yeah. it's just this new lifeblood for you.
3: Yeah, and and uh, Joseph Carini who has Carinis of New York and so they sell uh up, uh, high scale uh carpets and, and tapestries uh and linen's he has uh, a couple of places up in New York City and uh and, and one in a new one in Tribeca. Well he bought one of my paintings and, uh, and he got back to me uh sometime later, you know, three weeks, four weeks so I went what the fuck is this, you know? And so he said, I said, yeah, yeah, man. I was waiting for him. to say, like, look, man, I don't think of painting, you know, so and so. And he said, I've got an idea. And tell me if you'll go for it. And he said, how's about I take your paintings? He said, I keep up with everything you do. He said, well, how's about I take your artwork and turn it into carpets, tapestries, and, and I went, and rugs. Uh, he he has a guy that is in Nepal, in the mountains, who's a, wow. the, weaver, the the actual weaver. Yeah. And, and they do these things, and each one of them takes six months to a year to do, because he ties every knot himself. Uh, well, we did a deal, a long-term deal. And so I've got uh, a huge uh, uh, black patty in, in my front room, 12 by 12, and another one hanging in the museum here. It's been there for six months that's happening ongoing so this is all through my art happening it just, and i i just stand out of the way and, and do what i'm told and, and try to follow that uh creative principle or law i don't know the most daunting thing is like this canvas i'm looking at that hadn't got anything on it and say so i haven't got a clue what's going to be on it or the yeah brushes i'm going to use or the paint i'm going to use what colors or anything i don't know yeah you know all i know is that i've got about 95 paintings in the front room that are getting ready to uh, be put into the coop gallery (laughs) (laughs) on the 20th and 21st we're setting them up and um and these are substantial 30 by 40 paintings you know some of them a little larger or 30 by 40 inch but uh, some smaller. So, but that's, and that's not even touching the paintings that are in the, the museum here in, in Ozona at the Crockett County Museum. Um that's not going to be over. They got a big deal going down on the 1st of October, uh, about this. And as a matter of fact, when that, that, that part of right as the Museum of Fine Art, uh, yeah. the second week, The second weekend of the museum of fine art, I'm gonna have both of them going. One signing off and another one's on again. So, (laughs) yeah, it's pretty wild, this. Yeah, thank you.
1: Good, thank you, Bobby. Thank you. Incredible. I, I, so, are can people go to like your website if they want to buy a Bobby Whitlock painting? How do they do it?
3: Well, they got better, better have some money in the pocket because they ain't cheap. (laughs) uh,
1: Good. Right yeah. okay. you know,
3: I this I know this. If you don't hold yourself up, nobody's gonna do it for you. Right. That's absolutely right. You gotta hold yourself up there. Ain't nobody gonna come along and do anything for you. You gotta do it yourself. Yeah. And, and if you know and you listen to that voice it's now so still small but fucking roars like a lion, you know. That you follow that, you, that instinct and and you know, and uh, I, I, we just sold a painting the other day and it was quite a bit of, uh, of money out of the pocket and, and, uh, and uh, as a matter of fact we're getting ready to ship it to him and I had somebody call me this morning asking if, if I'd sell him something and I said well you, you have to come and look and see what I can't pick out something yeah. for you so and it's going to cost you yeah <laughs> so, no kidding yeah, wow. well, I'm, I'm not I don't do it to make money but money's good and money's fine. Uh you know, everybody has to pay the bills but if well, I do it because I'm compelled to do it and there's no way I could not do it. Yeah, you know? Yeah, no, no. Uh, but but it's all it's all working. And then we get off of this I'm headed to uh uh San Angelo to go to the gallery and so, wow. so
1: <laughs> now let me ask you this. I'm coming to Austin next week actually because 'cause I'm uh Seeing Roxy Music in concert there. Right. And um, are, are you, is there going to be some? Can I go to a museum or a gallery next, like Wednesday or Thursday, to view something?
3: Well, you can come down here, the only thing you can do, because uh, there ain't none of it in Austin.
1: Okay. Oh, okay. I didn't no, know. No, it's, okay. it's in,
3: it, and this is, we're three hours out of Austin. It's oh, don't worry about
1: it. Okay. I didn't know if it was already going to be up somewhere, and i would come check it out.
3: It is up up here and soon to be up in in San Angelo, yeah.
1: Yeah, got it. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, Bobby, I mean, I I feel like we could do this for hours and I could just keep throwing names at you and you would tell me these incredible stories about everybody you know and have worked with. Um, One last question. I do have one last question. Okay. When you basically stepped away and took most of the 80s and the 90s off, what were you doing? Were you uh getting clean were you just living comfortably on no road?
3: i i didn't i i built a farm in mississippi okay. uh, I, 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 my family i, my, I was always talking about growing up on a farm and i didn't do shit my daddy never got his hands dirty ever we were out working in the fields and he wasn't doing a goddamn thing and uh, but yeah uh but uh, uh no i uh, what i was doing was um I was just, uh, I put together something. I had a bunch of horses and and some cattle and stuff. And I I built this huge barn. Then I built a recording studio that was really just great. And really, I didn't build it to stay. I built it to leave, you know. And when time was right, I drove off and and left everything except a dozen guitars and that many pairs of boots and ones clothes. Mm -hmm. and everything that I hadn't given away and put it all behind me and started my life over with Coco.
1: Yeah. How long have you and Coco been married?
3: 20-something years. Good for you. Yeah, we've been together the whole time. we were together 24-7. That's great. And the more the people tried to pull us apart, the closer we clung to each other.
1: Good. Good for you. Bobby, you're a legend. You know this. You're a legend, and I love everything you put in the world. Thank you. Thank Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right, the legendary Bobby Whitlock. That was awesome. That was so good. Just to hear all those things and to realize this guy was in the room when all of those things were created to go behind the scenes and learn about all things must pass and exile on Main Street and who's there and all that kind of stuff— This is what rock, the foundation of rock, I don't know, mythology is made of, is stories like this. I wanted to kick it off with another song off of the California Gold album, and this is Good Times. This is the first track. Now, I have three copies of this CD to give away to our Patreon supporters. So as I often do, this coming Sunday, I will randomly choose three winners For the CD. So if you're not already a Patreon supporter, if you want to go sign up, the link is in the description of this episode. Two bucks a month, set it and forget it, like Ron Propil, or whatever his name was, taught us back in the day. Two bucks a month put put you in the running to win any and all swag we ever give away. I will say, too, next week, we're giving away some CDs next week, too, if you want them. Uh, also $5 a month, you put that, you can uh, sign up to donate that and then you can submit any question you want to, um, to the guests when I'll, I'll tell you who they are. And if you have something you want to include, feel free and we'll get it in there somehow. Uh, so anyway, three copies of California gold given away this Sunday, look for my email. My messages on Patreon, if you want to be included now, next week is a twofer. And in keeping with the sort of the theme I've been talking about lately of sort of American singer-songwriters, the first part of next week's episode is a member of a band who replaced sort of the face of one of the biggest American rock bands of all time. And he stayed in that band for over 30 years and only left recently to do this other project, which is, well, to do a lot of things, but his new latest project is incredible. It is so good. And then after him, well, I just gave away the sex. I don't like telling you if it's a boy or a girl. Anyway, after that person, we get to hear from a an incredible singer-songwriter who is also an actress. And uh, so we get to hear about the music and the movies. And that part's fun too. So anyway, that's what's coming up next week. Uh, I think you guys will love it. Huge thanks, as always, to Yann the Mammarkiewicz, my right-hand man, for everything. Thanks, buddy. You guys know you can like our page on Facebook. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at The Pod. We recorded a recap, finally, this last weekend, and that should be coming out, hopefully, this coming weekend. It's just up to Yan and his schedule. Anyway, thanks, everybody. We love you.